0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 293 of the podcast. I am really, really excited today for today's episode because my sister-in-law is on the show. My brother, my middle brother, Jeff, who also owns Turnkey Product Management that I work for, the Amazon consulting business. He recently married the love of his life, Melanie Sheroff. She is a special education teacher in San Diego specifically working with children with autism. She has her master's in autism, and she is just an incredible teacher, in fact, a teacher of the year in the school district. And she started a new podcast recently where she really wants to help support other families who experience autism and celebrate it and give people more information, tools, tips, strategies, and more awareness that autism is not something to be feared. Yes, there's additional challenges that present themselves with this type of diagnosis, but not all hope is lost, and there's certainly lots of resources and support for families to have lots of hope as they walk down this road, and I'm grateful for people like Melanie who are willing to provide these resources for these families. So we're going to talk about our new podcast, and we're also going to talk about Autism in general, why she became a teacher in special education, what she's learned over the years, and specific strategies that you can use in your own home in order to help your children regardless of their needs. So let's get to my conversation with Melanie Lieber. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with my sister-in-law today. Hi, Melanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming. You are a classroom teacher and not quite a mom yet, but you have this wealth of information. (laughs) But now that you started this new podcast that I'm so excited about, I'm like, okay, now's the time. You just got to come on. You just got to do it. So I'm so proud of you for your Celebrating Autism podcast, Melanie.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, not a mother. Um, No plans yet to be a mother, but have a lot of knowledge um, in the classroom and with behavior in general and I think I can really help whoever needs help at
0: home. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You just got married in July and it was the most beautiful wedding. We'll post a picture, um, one of your wedding pictures for sure, over on the uh, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com because it was just the most lovely day, wasn't it? Yes, it was so special, and I was the best. Yes, and I'm so grateful that my brother found somebody as wonderful as you. So, for people that don't know you yet, Melanie, will you just give a little background on yourself, your education, your career, things like that?
1: Yeah, so I've been a classroom teacher now for coming up on seven years, um, and I got my undergrad degree at Northern Arizona University in elementary and special education. And then from there, I, I taught in the classroom for about three years, and then I went and got my master's at San Diego State in special education with an emphasis in autism. So I did a lot of research in autism, and that's that's really been my passion for the past gosh, seven, eight, nine years. So I just love learning about it and helping families and seeing my students make progress and try to navigate this world that you know, doesn't necessarily cater to them, but it should. And so that's kind of my mission through this podcast and and through my work with autism.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in the special education field, there is a lot of burnout and turnover and things like that because it is just so emotionally, physically draining in ways that other teaching roles are not in the same way. And how have you been able to kind of sustain yourself through many hard years as well that you've experienced.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are days where I come home and I just don't even want to talk about it, you know, and Jeff will ask me, how was your day? And and I'll say, it was good. I got through it and I'm here. And that's like his cue, like not to ask me any more questions so that we can just like, you know, go through the rest of the night and, and you've seen it like, yeah. you've seen, you know, me, you know, feeling like frustrated and exhausted and there's just so much that goes into it and. And when you have the passion behind it, it can be even more emotionally draining because you just care so much about your students and their families and you see the struggles that not all kids or people have to face. And it's something that they didn't choose, but it's something that is a part of them. You know, it doesn't, autism doesn't define who they are, but it's part of how they have to navigate life. And yeah, it can be really exhausting, but also at the same time, really rewarding. Like probably the most rewarding feeling I've ever felt. It's this exhilarating high, like when you see your students doing something that they weren't able to do before. So Mm -hmm. it goes both ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And without a doubt, from the parent perspective, having a teacher that cares so, so deeply and is willing to keep showing up and willing to do the hard things and to invest in their child as much as they are, if not even more in some cases, you know, and I mean, we need great teachers in these roles. And so I think providing enough support for special education teachers so that, you know, we can alleviate some of that burnout or some of the physicalness of it. I mean, I don't even know all the answers, but um, I mean, it's just such a critical, critical place for excellent teachers.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of teachers, you know, feeling like, they can't do it or they want to switch to a different role and you know there really does need to be some support out there for for teachers and I don't and like you said like I don't know what that looks like yeah. but hiring more people to get into this field I think is really important too because we need teachers there are some jobs even in our district that go unfilled because we just can't find teachers so the more people that want to get into it the better
0: yeah absolutely and I mean There's so many different, whether it's YouTube channels or Instagrams or things that really is championing people and children, especially with, Different disabilities um different special needs, things like that. I mean nothing brings me to tears more than a sweet video where you know a child with Down syndrome is receiving an award at school or being included on the playground or a child with autism is you know having a breakthrough and and celebrating that milestone. I mean it just it just gets you doesn't it and oh it it's got to be yeah the most rewarding and Sometimes the lowest of lows. And I mean, when you think about a teacher going home at the end of the day, granted, you have a classroom of how many kids are in your class? I have 13 kids in my class. So that's a lot of kids with various needs to manage. So that's fatiguing on a different level than a home experience where you're dealing with just your one child. Putting yourself in the place of a parent that never gets to turn this off, right? That doesn't have the choice to say, I'm done for today, right? Like what are some of the conversations you've had with parents that are feeling this fatigue and this, this struggle to to keep it up and to, to keep, keep hoping and keep seeking out new resources and things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of our jobs is having empathy and not just empathy for our students, but empathy for the whole family, yes. right? Because it's not even just the parents, it's grandparents, it's siblings. I think of some of the siblings of my students and you know, what they experience at home with their parent, you know, putting a lot of their focus and attention, you know, on on their child with that significant need. And you just really have to put them yourselves in their shoes and just be a good listener. Mm. At the end of the day, just really making sure that you're hearing what your families are saying, making sure that you're validating those feelings. And I never tell a family that I understand what they're going through, because there's no way that I could understand exactly what is happening.
0: Yeah, and I know one of the questions that you ask families is, you know, what do you need from me so that you can support them in that, right?
1: At the end of the day, like, I'm so invested, and whatever I can do for them, I will, whether that's behavior tips at home or in the community or – um, resources that I know of, like camps or after school activities, just so they can have a break at the end of the school day, I get to go home and that's it go home. But these families are with it and in it a hundred percent of the time. And it's hard, but I'll on the the benefits and the, the, the exciting moments. Right. And, mm-hmm. and with my podcast, celebrating autism, like that's what we want to do. And just celebrating all of those great moments And allowing yourself to be really excited for those little victories that happen instead of going right to the negative of what your student can't do or what they're still struggling with. But really live in that moment of the excitement of what they did that was amazing and what they did that they weren't doing before. So I I really try to highlight that with a lot of the parents um, in my classroom.
0: Yeah, and I really think the parents could apply those same principles to themselves and kind of the progress that they're making as well. Because so many times as adults, we only let ourselves, you know, give ourselves a little bit of credit once a goal is reached or once like the big thing is achieved. Very rarely are the incremental steps forward acknowledged and we even tend to just beat ourselves up when it's not enough, right? And so for parents that are struggling on this road of like, well, yeah, I did that, but this is all that I didn't do. Or this is what we achieved, but it's not this, right? Acknowledging that you are enough for your children. You are doing a great job. It Sometimes things don't go as planned, but it's okay. It's okay, and you're doing a better job than you think you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that kind of brings me to, um, in one of the episodes about reinforcement, I talked about you know going back and reflecting and yes. making sure that you're – acknowledging that it didn't go the way that you wanted to but but why like don't beat yourself up about it but just ask why like what was that one thing that I could have done differently or is is there one like small way that I worded something that I could have tweaked and it would have gone so much better right so making sure that you're not beating yourself up but you're just reflecting and maybe thinking about what you could change because you know nobody's perfect like nobody it's not going to happen the first time and i'm sure that You know, all parents have struggled with that. Definitely reflecting and trying to think about what you could have done differently is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so many times the things that we could have done differently are not the things in the moment necessarily, but the things leading up to the thing. And I believe we've talked about this with my kids too. It's like, what happened right before the tantrum? What happened right before the thing that totally triggered them to do whatever behavior we didn't want them to do, right? And a lot of times there's a very common theme there. So whether, you know, it's perfectionism with one of my kids and feeling embarrassed and that sets them off. Okay, well, how can I set them yes. up for success to not feel that embarrassment as deep of a level? Or how can I Or, you know, how can we give him the tools to help himself self-regulate? Things like that. So stepping back even before the actual trigger so that whether it's leaving for school in the morning, if it never goes well, you can't assume for it just to like magically change. But are they getting up early enough? Do they have enough time? Do they, are you ending up frantic searching for shoes when you could have left shoes by the door? right? So what are those things you can do in preparation to set them up for success and, quite frankly, you as a parent?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, I mean, it's just like in the classroom, like the, the students are feeding off the energy that I give. Yeah. So if I'm coming in, you know, rushed or stressed about something or, you know, I'm trying to get everything put together or I'm not prepared, they absolutely feel that. And, and then it makes me even more frustrated, which makes them even more frustrated, and it's this, this wheel, right? And I can mm-hmm. imagine that it's the exact same at home if you're running around looking for what you need and, you know, that your kids are going to feel that energy and instead of maybe setting up a list of, okay, these are the five things that we need to do before we get out the door and making sure that you have time to do that and even asking your kids at home, like, how long do you think that it's going to take to get this done? Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that it's a a partnership so that not only you have some of the power, but your kids at home have the power too, so that you don't get into that power struggle. That's the, the biggest thing, because I use that in my classroom too, making sure that I'm giving my students some voice of how much time do we think we need for this, or mm. what do you think is a reasonable thing for you to be doing when you're done with this assignment? So making sure that you both have say in what goes on.
0: Yeah, I love that and having that be a partnership, like you said, and having those conversations because especially with little kids, I feel like parents often just default to ordering kids around and when they don't feel like they have any control or like they're feeling stressed too in the morning and what if you just got them up 10 minutes earlier so they had a little more time to linger in bed because that's what they need to start their day i mean we as adults get to choose these things for ourselves without any conversation without any micromanagement and so if you can just put yourself in your kids shoes of like you're mad that they're not just popping out of bed i don't do that either (laughs) so how can we expect that of them
1: yeah no exactly and making sure that you're asking those questions and not being afraid to ask those questions because you might assume that they're going to say something like, well, I just want to lay in bed all day. Don't be afraid that they're going to say something completely unreasonable um, because you can't assume that, you know, have the conversation and see if, if you can come up with a reasonable middle ground. And I'm sure even just opening up that conversation and them having the opportunity to say what they need, it's absolutely going to be reasonable things. And um, I think coming to that agreement is is really, really important. And it strengthens your bond as mother and son or mother and daughter or father, daughter, father, son. Mm-hmm. It just strengthens the overall bond.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Kids ultimately just want to feel heard. All people want to yes. feel heard. And, I yeah, we often don't give them that, that credit as a human being that, that we give them that level of respect to, to be heard, even if we don't necessarily – Agree 100%, I'm sure there's a middle ground, like you're saying. So, I wanted to go back real quick because you said, you know, having a, ch- a child with special needs in the family affects not just the child, not just the parents, but the siblings, the grandparents, the neighbor. Like, it, it, it affects everybody. And I wanted to know what you would say to somebody that feels like their child's behavior is kind of triggering negative. Effects in other members of the family. I'm thinking specifically siblings. So, like in the classroom context, I've heard stories that you've shared where you know a child gets triggered by something, and then all of your attention has to go to de-escalating this this huge reaction from the child, and the other kids are you know they're going to have their reactions too to it. At the very least, they're not getting attention at that moment, right? So, how do you handle it in the classroom? And then how would you say You handle it in the home as well when the other siblings are being affected by big reactions or just a lot of attention that needs to go to one particular child.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, In the classroom, it can be really difficult in the moment, especially to um, make sure that the other students know what I'm doing. Um, So I always make sure to circle back to it. Mm. Uh, When we have a big reaction in the classroom that, you know, whether the student's Other students need to be evacuated or they need to be doing something independent for a while. I work on de escalating another student, and I'm so lucky because I'm in a special day class, so I have um, instructional assistants. So I am able to have those instructional assistants really manage the rest of the class while I am de escalating a behavior. Um, But I always make sure that when it's done, we circle back to it and we talk about that empathy piece again. So always circling back to empathy and always circling back to, you know, has that ever happened to you? You know, we we have a really open conversation about it and making sure that students know this happens and you wouldn't want anybody else to look at you a certain way or feel this way about you. You know, sometimes things just happen and it makes you feel upset, and we're all learning how to control our reactions to things that upset us. Hmm. And if you have any tips for this student that he can or she can calm down, um that would be great. This is the time to share. So we make sure that it's a community feel and that we're all having empathy for each other, hmm. um because that's really important. And you know, sometimes these behaviors that happen in the class can be really traumatic for other students. Yeah. Um You know, they can carry that trauma. So I want to make sure that I am addressing it and making sure that we're feeling, you know, like, okay, we need to support our classmate because that just happened and we need to be there for for that person.
0: Yeah, and it's, again, going back to setting everybody up for success. So so having something in place – so I'm picturing especially in the home where, you know, if a child starts lashing out, I'm thinking of a family where – the older son was extremely violent when he got triggered for his different uh, issues that he experienced and often his sisters were a target. And so what did they need to do? What was the protocol for them to get safe and to know that they weren't just being neglected or ignored as the mom had to address the son, but they, there was already something in place. So it's that preparation and setting them up for success that they knew what to do. And they weren't just left alone in that fear.
1: Yeah, sure. And at home, it's it's different, you know, like you said, but having a plan yeah. and making sure that everybody knows the plan and then making sure that you have time with your other children. Yes, so yes, yes. Making sure that you are having alone moments with your other students, like setting up little dates um, here and there and kind of making sure that you have somebody that you trust to be in charge of, of your, your other child, but making sure that you're setting up individual attention with each of your children at
0: home. Yeah, I love that. I love that too. Absolutely. Um, I talked a few weeks ago with a woman who had experienced a stroke and one of the outcomes of her stroke, thankfully she survived, but she ended up in a wheelchair, severely disabled, unable to do most of the things she used to do independently. Um, And she said, and she's written a lot of books now, and she was talking about, her disability versus invisible disabilities and how she's almost grateful to have a physical disability because she automatically gets compassion and understanding and help and assistance and the benefit of the doubt from people when they see her because she physically looks disabled. And something that I find very trying about families experiencing autism in their family is that these kids often, most often, look very typical. And their behavior sometimes is not that. And so in public, they get far more stares and far less benefit of the doubt because of this quote-unquote, her term, invisible disability that is just as um, impactful in their lives. And yet there's no awareness of this backstory. And so they're not given any assistance, any empathy um, in a lot of situations. Can you kind of speak to that? And um, what have you seen in terms of of that?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I I really haven't thought about that, like having a physical disability versus, um, you know, something that you can't see right away. And, you know, something to keep in mind um, for everybody is that autism is such a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So we see Everything from students that are really high functioning, um, that have great verbal skills, um, but just haven't learned like the social skills don't come innate to them as they do uh, typical people. And then we have everything in the middle. Right. And then all the way to some people who never develop communication skills um, at all to Mm -hmm. even speak. So it's such a wide range, but part of my mission in this podcast and building this community is to kind of get rid of that stigma or Mm -hmm. kind of get rid of that, you know, immediate thought when you see someone that's doing something different. So Mm -hmm. if you see somebody in your community and, you know, they're not sitting in a wheelchair or have any sort of physical disability, but you notice that something's different. So maybe... If you're trying to say hello or engage with them, if that person's not engaging with you the way a typical person would, um, just be patient. Like, give it a second, yeah. you know, really think about, oh, you know, this person, you know, might have autism or they have something that they're doing that's different. So I need to kind of adjust my approach. Right, Instead of just walking away or having a weird look or a weird thought, it's kind of changing the way that you view it in your head and then adjusting your reaction to it. We think about how we live our lives and the world caters to us, right? Because we are typical people and it just, it does, it caters to us, but we have this whole other section of people in the world, you know, who are in our communities and deserve absolutely to be in our communities. and we need to cater to them too right yeah. and so making sure that when we do see somebody that's doing something a little differently that we are being patient that we're actually being thoughtful in our interactions to make sure that everybody feels welcome and everybody feels okay i mean just that little thing like a little smile or someone who's being patient that can make the whole difference in their day right
0: oh so absolutely I think that that's really important. Well, sometimes I'm just having a bad day, right? And so people being a little more patient with me. And I think we could all give each other a little extra care and just go ahead with the benefit of the doubt when somebody is, you know, being slower or not speaking right away or not wanting to chat or whatever it is. Just giving people that yeah. that benefit of the doubt. and And I think what makes autism especially... Tricky is the spectrum that you're speaking of, and I think it is. um, You know, there's so much more awareness surrounding autism now than 15, 20 years ago, for sure. Um, And so, I'm sure we all know somebody or multiple people um, who who have autism, and no two people with autism are alike, right? And so, I think that's almost makes creates a little bit more fear for parents because they hear the word autism they think one thing but then they might also jump to the absolute unknown of what this path is actually going to look like yeah right that uncertainty is daunting
1: yeah and i think um what you just said is really important because it's really scary and of course there's a mourning process for, for parents who are going through a diagnosis like this. But the biggest advice I can give to parents is arm yourself with the resources and the information. Don't run away from it. Don't be scared of this quote unquote label that that is following your child because the label isn't branded anywhere on their body. It's just mm. information for you. That is power for you to know, for you to research resources in your community and to get the necessary support that you need. I mean, I, I unfortunately have seen parents in the school system, you know, run away from these diagnoses and deny them, you know, up and down. But the more early intervention and support that you can get for your child, the better in the long run. I mean, knowledge is power, especially in this circumstance, so arm yourself with the support. Reach out to people, and with social media these days, it is so easy. It's everything's at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that are ready and willing to help.
0: Okay, so if I have a child that is, let's say, preschool age or very early elementary, and I'm noticing that their social skills are a little bit lacking, um, and there's just some some things that kind of check the boxes of – typical autism. What would my first step be if I'm like totally new to this world?
1: Sure, yeah. Um I would say definitely do some research, you know, because you don't want to jump to anything right away, but I would say do some research and if you're seeing like a lot of the boxes are checked, I would say go in, go into um, a pediatrician, go in and ask ask the questions and make sure you're getting some sort of professional advice. I say the earlier the better. Um, some of the things that I would look for even with children that are younger than preschool age is their joint attention skills. And so what I mean by that is, are they able to, you know, look at you and have joint attention with you? So you're making a silly face and they're laughing and you're having that back and forth reciprocal um, interaction. That's really big. Um, and if, If you're seeing that anywhere from 18 months and beyond, that is great. Those imitation skills are really, really important. So making sure your child, if you're doing something let's say you're clapping your hands if your child can imitate that those are also really great signs language skills i wouldn't be too concerned with language skills if you're always with your child or someone's always with them and they're getting everything that they need maybe they're not feeling the need to communicate because mm-hmm. they're getting all of their needs met right so that might just come a little bit later um, but i would say the imitation skills are the most important and then as your child gets older into preschool early elementary are they engaging socially? Are their interactions appropriate for that age? Or are they not? I think that that's really important too. And making, making sure you're observing your child in a play date situation or a birthday party situation and kind of seeing how they're engaging compared to everybody else. That's really important too. And making sure if, if that's not happening, going in to get the help and making sure that you are arming yourself with all of that knowledge.
0: Yeah, perfect. That's great. That's great. If you do end up getting that autism diagnosis, I would venture to say that most people's first reaction is not celebration, right? And so why why right. your podcast Celebrating Autism? What is the real mission of that podcast? And why specifically the word celebrating? Because like you said, there is that grieving period, but how can you get to the point of celebration of something that feels... Like, it's going to be a lifelong, huge, massive challenge.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I, I can imagine that the first time that you're hearing, you know, that your child has an autism diagnosis is, like, is absolutely devastating. I can only imagine that um, that is really hard. And I've watched parents really struggle with that and still mourn the fact that their child is going to have differences and experience the world in a different way. The reason for celebrating is because, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, that I've worked with a lot of parents that when I tell them something amazing that their child has done, I get like a half a second of joy and celebration, and then it's immediately reverted back to, oh, but what about this? How are they doing in this area? Or I know mm-hmm. that this is still a struggle, so you know, how are we addressing that? Instead of really allowing them some time to be really happy about what their child just did, and those can be such small things like, oh, your child you know, joined in the basketball game at recess today. And, you know, he might not have said anything, but he was there running around with the kids and laughing. And the other kids were really enjoying his company. Mm -hmm. Like, that is huge. Like, that is, you know, an amazing leap of what that student wasn't doing before. Like, let's really take a day to celebrate that and reinforce that behavior. Go take your child out for a treat. You know, let them watch whatever they want on TV that night because they just did something that for them was so scary and so difficult so kind of celebrating these things that happen that typical kids just do innately Mm -hmm. but but kids with autism don't and so let's really take the time to to throw a party for it and make Mm -hmm. it a big deal
0: i love that so much and, and two, I mean, I don't know if you've thought of, this, of it this way, but celebrating the fact that there are strategies and there are resources and there there is so much hope and guidance for you along the way. Yes, no two paths look the same and no two children with autism are going to have that that same trajectory and that same path, but I mean... On your podcast, you share your personal expertise, strategies that you can use, that you use in the classroom, that you've seen in that work in the home, um, tips and things. Um, I'm sure you'll be having, you know, other people come on about their experiences and just realizing, like, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And that is worth celebrating in and of itself. Like, you may not have chosen to be a part of this club, but at least there is one to be a part of.
1: Exactly. And everybody's path is their own and kind of understanding that your path is going to change multiple times. I mean, it's going to deviate. You're going to take one fork in the road and then go another way. And you're going to try things that don't work, but not giving up and trying those new things and, oh, well, this didn't work this way. So I think I need to tweak it to work this way. And just being patient with yourself and knowing You know, if I try this new strategy and it doesn't work in a week, I mean, I need to give myself, you know, two weeks, three weeks to Mm -hmm. really see if it works or not. So just being patient and allowing yourself that time to explore all these options and see what works best, best for your family and for your child. Just knowing that it's going to get easier if you use the strategies and you find a community of support. I think that was the biggest thing you just said was you're not alone. And there are so many people out there that want to share and have probably had similar experiences to you. And so yeah. finding those people is really going to be important in your journey.
0: Well, and I think, too, from what I've heard, um, finding somebody a little further down the journey, too. I mean, it's helpful to have somebody in the thick of it so they can you can really – understand exactly you know you, they, you know that they get it because they're right there but having something somebody a little further down the path that offers you a you know that light at the end of the tunnel right that shows wow look how they're you know more mainstreamed than they were when they were in second grade now that they're in seventh grade and they used to have to go to a special day school and now they're in a typical high school and just having having that as kind of a beacon of like okay if they can do it we can certainly do this. Right. Sure.
1: Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, making sure that you, um, are asking all of those great questions, like what were the resources that you looked into in order to get this far, mm. but also giving yourself some grace and the fact that, okay, that child and that student was able to make it that far with these supports. But I also need to take into consideration, what is my child doing? Yes. Um, compared to that child so that you're not having any sort of I don't want to say like false hope but yeah you're not having this expectation that isn't your child's path but you know that there's something similar out there for your child and you know that there's supports that worked for somebody else
0: Oh most certainly absolutely yeah there's no need to compare one child to the next um but it's just yeah, yeah having that symbol kind of 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 hope of a of a bright future Because there is a bright future for all of our children, even the the biggest of challenges. And it might be so, feel so daunting and so overwhelming. But like you said, with all the resources available, just knowing, I mean, I believe our kids are meant for us. And I believe we are equipped for our specific children. I believe that with my whole heart, even when it doesn't feel true. (laughs) And I believe that for everybody, you know? And so... Just just not giving up that hope. Um, so like you said, starting at the pediatrician, there's resources like the regional center. There's different support groups in your community that you can just Google going through the school district if they're of that age, private therapies, things like that. And and thankfully, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but once they have that autism diagnosis, you're kind of opened up to a lot of different therapies and opportunities that would be covered usually more so than if you were lacking that and just trying to struggle with the behaviors without that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, um, there are so many insurances now that do cover, um, you know, therapy for for people with autism and that applied behavior analysis therapy. Um, you know, it, and it's and it's really only going to get better and easier to access that kind of thing. But yeah, you definitely need to go in and. Um, I know that having that, that diagnosis is scary, but it's really just arming you with with knowledge and tools. It really is. I mean, like I said, it might be scary to have that label or that stigma, but it's nowhere on their body. They're not wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm on the autism spectrum. It's just knowledge for you to mm. to get the resources. And truly, I really do believe that there is a place for everybody in this world, especially as they get older. I mean, there are so many jobs out there that can be modified or that exist already for, for people with special needs. There just are. And going out there and researching those and getting your students excited about certain careers and, and things that they can do in their future can be really
0: empowering. Yeah. And I just, I love that. I know Um, That there's a lot of businesses that are becoming much more inclusive and more aware of what types of jobs can people of different abilities do in the workplace and that affirmation of themselves and building up that self-confidence, I mean, that goes such a long way for all of us. Um, And so I I think that's just incredible. I don't think we touched on this yet, but what is it about autism specifically that just lights you up and... You didn't set out just to be a special education teacher. You really wanted to have that focus of autism. You went on to get your master's in autism education and, and whatnot. Why autism?
1: I just... I When I was in college, I was student teaching. Um, and my master teacher was... She kind of took the same path that I ended up taking. And I was inspired by her and her passion for people with autism. And I think I just... In watching the way that she interacted with students in the classroom and everything she taught me about how to engage and, and interact with people with autism, it just felt right. It's it's hard to explain, and, mm-hmm. and she ended up getting her master's in special education with that autism emphasis, and I kind of just, it just clicked in me. It was just, I don't want to do anything different, and then in moving back home to Southern California and... Uh, pursuing my credential here. I don't know. It just felt really right. I started Mm -hmm. to sub in classrooms, um, special day class classrooms that specifically had an autism focus. And it was just so fun to me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a traditional classroom. You could, you know, put in these tools and these strategies. And I saw them working and it was just, I couldn't get enough. (laughs) Once I saw it work the first time, just kind of having that moment of watching your students or any students, you know, be included in the classroom and then watching the typical students grow this empathy, uh, for somebody else at such a young age, that was also something that I couldn't get enough of either. And I think it's really, really important to not only teach our students with autism, the tools to be able to navigate this world, but also teaching, you know our students who are typically developing and our children yes. at home that empathy and giving them the tools to navigate in a world with people with differences is so, so important it it takes both sides to really make it perfect and i think that that is definitely why i became so interested in this too i really just wanted to merge these two worlds and make it Make it better for everybody.
0: Yeah. And my hope with this podcast is this is not just going to be listened to by mothers of children with autism. But my hope is it's listened by all mothers because here our responsibility is to educate and model for our kids how to be inclusive, how to be respectful. You know, Austin, my middle, is was making his birthday invite list and included a child in a special day class. Because he's Aww. been including him in the basketball game recently and he said he's so nice and I still don't know his name though because he hasn't told me yet but, but he's so nice and everything and I just love that he hasn't given up on that, on that child because we talk about it at home and we talk about what that looks like to feel like you're sitting at the lunch table and no one is asking you to be a part of their group how does that Absolutely. feel what does that look like and we've all felt that austin has felt that for himself so he mm-hmm. gets it so how can he offer extend that to other people so i think we all have a responsibility in educating ourselves with this information um and when we do that we can really have a deeper level of understanding compassion um support for other mothers um along this journey because we all have something that we're dealing with and it may change throughout the years the the challenges we deal with but um, the emotions we feel certainly we're not alone in those feelings of feeling overwhelmed and stressed and uncertain in in the job that we're doing, but it's a, it's a beautiful role that I know someday you will excel at. I do have one last question um regarding i mean granted you are a phenomenal teacher teacher of the year if if parents can get their kids into your classroom, they're the luckiest and they can trust that their child is being well taken care of and thought of and seen and valued. But what if their child is attending a school, maybe they're in a special day class or maybe they're still fighting and working out those kinks. What if they feel like their child is not in the best placement right now and their child's needs are not being met?
1: Yeah. I would say, um, you know, that your first, thing to do is, is just to set up a meeting with the teacher, maybe addressing those concerns, right? Of like, why I'm noticing that this mean that this, this, and this isn't being addressed. Um, how can we work together as a team to make sure that we're putting this in place? Mm. And I would, from a te- teacher's perspective, coming at it as not accusatory because, You know, as teachers, we have so much on our plates, and you know, it might feel really overwhelming for a parent or somebody to come at you and like, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing this? And it's like, ah, automatically, like my defenses are up, right? Um, But coming at it as more of an angle of, so I'm I'm noticing these things, and I want your opinion on it. If you agree or disagree, and why, and what can we come up with so that we are addressing these things that are a concern for me. Hmm. And if things don't change after that, um, I would say definitely go up, go up, you know, maybe contacting a principal or, um, more of an administrator at your school district. Um, but I would say definitely like your first stop should be the teacher because they do see your student every day and they just might need a check-in. Yeah, because we we they, there's so much that goes on, and it is nice just to have that connection and not like accusatory, but just hey, we're we're all on the same team for your child, and let's see uh, what we can do to make it better.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I like how you, you use the word partner. How can we partner together? And as a parent, having that teacher realize, okay, they're really invested, so maybe you do need a little mo- more support in actually walking them to the classroom in the morning versus the teacher having to you know, be the one to intercept at the bus if that's allowed at your child's school. I mean, I'm sure there's things that you can come up with to help improve the situation. Ultimately, it may or may not be the answer, but, yeah, you never know what the teacher is dealing with as a whole, so just having that honest conversation, I think, yeah, is a really smart approach, because sometimes we think we know what's going on, and we actually don't.
1: Yeah. And just knowing that everything is like fluid and changing and nothing that you come up with has to be set in stone. Yeah. 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 It's like, don't get mad if it doesn't work right away. Just come back to the table and adjust it.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that is so great. Okay. Melanie, tell people where they can find your podcast and, um, any additional (sighs) resources or anything that you want to, to share with, with the people. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it's pretty exciting. Um, The podcast is on Anchor FM, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify, and it's also just been picked up by Google Podcasts, Overcast, pretty much wherever you can listen to podcasts, Mm -hmm. it's on there now. So that's really, really exciting. It's called the Celebrating Autism Podcast, and um, we have an Instagram page that's at Celebrating Autism Podcast. Uh, with underscores in between each word and that would be the easiest place to connect with me um, and find the link to our website and on the website you can find resources that I talk about um, in the episode, so that you can have a visual as you're going, going through the episode and it's just been really exciting and really fun and I'm hoping to grow it and grow a community and just make it a safe place for people to to celebrate the little victories and um even though i say little victories they're really really huge victories so yeah. um it's been really exciting and fun
0: yay well i am so proud of you the podcast and instagram they're worth your follow and worth your listen um and i mean i am listening and i don't have a child with autism but um i'm not just listening because of you but i just find it so fascinating and interesting and i mean some of these strategies work with all children right yes some are specific to children Probably. with special needs but i mean all of our kids have different needs, right? And so there's definitely takeaways from every single episode, every single strategy you can adapt into your own home to make it run more smoothly, 100%.
1: Absolutely. And all of these strategies and, like, the evidence-based practices that work for people with autism, it's really just good teaching and it's really just good behavior management yeah. in general. So it definitely works for all people, like, not just people with autism, but yeah. – um, definitely worth a listen and it works for everybody.
0: Yeah. Good job, girl. This is awesome. I'm so proud of you and so <laughs> excited to see where this goes. It's just getting started and the sky is the limit. Well, I always ask my guests one final question and usually it's what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? But since you're still pre-motherhood, I wanted to adapt it just a little bit. But what would you tell a mother that will eventually get a an autism diagnosis for one of their children, what would you tell her pre that diagnosis or pre-motherhood of a child with autism?
1: I would tell that parent to don't be scared, to do extra research, don't be afraid to bring your child into a specialist. And even though it definitely feels scary and it's hard for me to tell you don't be scared, look at it as, These are tools to help your life be easier and your child's life be easier. You know, get in there and really find out what's going on so that the rest of your life and your child's life can be managed uh, with helpful strategies.
0: That's so good. I love that. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks for coming on. You are on your week off from school. So I appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us this morning and hopefully giving so much hope and information to families that may find themselves needing this information and these resources because they're dealing with autism in their own families or for others, they can just have a little bit more awareness and, and empathy as well.
1: Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. I hope you found that episode as helpful as I did. Again, I don't have a child with autism. However, I do know friends that have children with autism, and I definitely know kids at my children's school that have autism or other special needs. And the more that we can understand actual information about these quote-unquote labels or differences and things like that, the more that we can offer support to other people, the more we can educate our kids on how they can be inclusive and respectful and kind to all children. And I just think it's so important for typical parents like me To have these this knowledge and then also I hope that if you're a parent of a child with autism that you found some of these tips and strategies helpful and I hope that finding the celebrating autism podcast was an answer to prayer today if you have been searching for an additional resource to really bolster your knowledge and hope as you navigate this journey of really uncertainty and we are with you at the extraordinary moms podcast so thanks Melanie for coming on the show. You can log on to extraordinarymomspodcast.com to link over to her podcast celebrating autism to see pictures of beautiful Melanie on her wedding day. Um, I was one of her bridesmaids; it was just so so special. And if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dalquist Three or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.